What is up, my friends? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and we're here at the top of 2016 to pick up where we left off just a few months ago. Uh, if you remember, and if you listened to the last episode, hopefully you do remember, but if not, we were talking about what happens when a co-working space in a community ends up in a situation of crisis. Now, a lot of times we talk about milestones and celebrations, but sometimes milestones don't exactly show up as a good thing. And in our case, our milestone was showing up as a pretty significant rent increase, a potentially crippling rent increase. And in that last episode, Adam and I were talking about how we react to bad news, what bad news does to us, and how a crisis actually informs what we do and what we say. And in the context of a community, we talked a lot about how you go about sharing that bad news with the other people in the community. That previous episode was a lot about putting out optimism and positivity and how to sort of go through the thought process that helps you stay present and start to address the initial problem before you leap into action mode. But today's episode is all about that action mode. And more specifically, I want to talk about solving problems in a setting of a community. Because as you know, being a part of a community and part of the reason that people join a community is because solving problems alone is the fastest route to failure. Now, you can't please everybody, and definitely not all the time, but what I hope you take away from this episode is that if people start feeling like the solutions you come up with are happening to them versus something they've played an active role in creating, those solutions aren't going to feel much like solutions in spite of your best intentions. So, as we kick off this conversation, I want you to be thinking about how we approach a community with information that's crucial to their future, especially when that information is complicated, and maybe even that information is a moving target. So without further ado, let's get right into part two of dealing with a co-working crisis and how we deal with those crises together. I hope you enjoy. I think it's important that you mention uh, your authentic self. The way that you act in any situation is a, a way in which you share information you have and you ask a lot of questions. You have a real, genuine curiosity for what other people think of the scenario. Right? If it's good stuff, if it's bad stuff. And in this scenario, this is at a crazy, crazy, crazy scale because this affects everyone. Hence the schedule that you were talking about in the beginning of us talking today. Yeah. Uh, because now you're in a scenario where you need to systematize your authenticity to make sure that you can give equal doses of it to everyone. I never thought about it that way, but yes, you're 100% right. And, and that seems kind of contradictory, right? Like, how do you turn anything that's authentic and genuine and in the moment and personal into a system? Um, well, my, my, I don't know if you actually asked that as a question, but I'll answer it as if it was a question. And that, oh, it's think, a question. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge question. So for me, I, I mean, it really came down to a couple of specific things. One was quality of presence. Yeah. If I'm talking to you, I'm actually talking to you. Which meant that sometimes I had to say to people, now is not an awesome time. Uh, I want to give you 100% of my attention. Can we carve out 15 minutes or 20 minutes 
later today or tomorrow. Or and the we've next talked time about in. this a little bit uh, in the last time that we talked about it, it, calling the ball yep. and coverage and, and team communication. And that people again super appreciative of me being able to say, look, I want. I want to hear you 100%, yeah. and I know that I'm not there right now. I need a little bit of time to get there. If you'll, give, if you'll grant me that time, I'll grant you what the time you deserve, I assure you. And people are super cool about that. Um, the, the other thing is, and this is really at the heart of it, uh, and probably the most uh, uh, mentally and emotionally taxing, is challenging the inner voice of reaction mm. i hear things that i instinctively go oh, no, no 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 that will never fly and that's not going to work here mm. i need to hear people all the way through i need to hear their idea their question in its entirety and i partially for them Mm -hmm. I need to know that they feel like they've been heard. Mm -hmm. That's almost as important as the words that came out of their mouth. The second part is, I can't, I don't, I sort of, in a way, I'm compromised. Mm -hmm. by, by the virtue of the fact that I am in a crisis situation, I've narrowed my options, and I need to be intentional about keeping all options on the table. Mm -hmm. And that's been a theme of this process all along, where now, today, you know, we're talking about real estate and locations and square footage and what amenities and all this other stuff. And we went through a series of town halls, which we can talk about in a minute, where I've, I feel like I've gleaned enough raw data. Again, facts, in many cases, the facts behind opinions. So I hear an opinion, but I look for the reason about that opinion. Yeah. Why do you think that way? Why does that matter so much to you? And then I cultivate and, and sort of call all of that into a set of factors and I'm working on even a way to uh, to rate those factors on a scale of 1 to 10 of really like how much do we really give a damn like is this super crucial most important everybody gives a damn or is this uh, I, you know a scale, like a 2 on a scale of 10 where yeah, like, yeah. I give a damn but I'd be willing to concede to other things that are more important this would be ideal if it worked but I could compromise right so you know I, I've had to go through the mental gymnastics of doing all of that but I can't do that while I'm listening to somebody those two things are not things that can be done simultaneously I, I think it was something you and I talked about back in one of the first couple of episodes where like you can't listen and be on the defense at the same time that's right my default in this operation given that there's crisis mode we're programmed to be on the defense yeah so i need to take myself off the defense and actually listen uh and that is it's a lot of work now i've said a lot of things that are a lot of work i want to say uh that's not all too different from the way that you initially reported on and relayed information about the scenario in the first place uh not or making sure that you're not on the defense. So you can listen to as much as you can and make sure you're not on the defense. And in the way that you shared the information when you had it, all of this really important stuff, uh, I think the way that you positioned it for the rest of the community to receive was to make sure that they had that opportunity. So let's talk about what that positioning was precisely. Um, because I agree with you, I think it made a big difference. And it took me getting to that point. Be like, this was not me making up some things. I'm like, well, what are people gonna feel most comfortable with? Yeah, that would have been a hundred percent inauthentic. Yeah, this was what can I be comfortable with, so that when I present my comfort in it, other people can be comfortable and yeah. choose that comfort for themselves. So, 
what we were handed from our, our current leasing situation was effectively an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Buy at this price that doesn't make sense, or your rent goes up to this price that doesn't make sense, or a hidden option C, which, you know, since both of those options totally suck, we leave. Mm-hmm. Um, presented as an ultimatum. And I think all too often people look at an ultimatum as the limitations of choices that they have. And the way I got to a place of peace from a place of just like deep rooted anxiety, lost sleep and things like that in this process was realizing the ultimatum wasn't an ultimatum at all. They gave me the ultimatum, but what was the ultimatum operationally? It was a timeline. Yeah. I know how to work with a timeline. And I can present a timeline. A timeline with a goal is actually really concrete. Yeah. Even if we don't know exactly how we're going to get to the goal, uh, it now is my job to figure out exactly how we are going to get to the goal and engage the community in that. Sure. But what I said, the way I explained this entire situation to the community was not like a, well, we're screwed. It was... Something happened, but we have a choice. Yeah. And in fact, while the ultimatum technically presented what appeared to be two options, that both were terrible, we can reject those options and look to the infinite options that this can push us towards. Right. Which, given that, as you said before, back to our birthday conversation, this is all centering, sort of poetically, around our 10-year anniversary. Yeah. And so there's something that the romantic in me says... Well, in year nine approaching 10, we should have been having conversations about what the next evolution of Indie Hall is anyway. Right. We've been at this for 10 years and we've changed tremendously. Right. We've grown, we've evolved. The idea that Indie Hall would look the same in another 10 years, even another five or eight years, is preposterous to yeah. me. So instead of it taking the ultimatum for what it was issued as, let's take it as a challenge to think about what we want to do for the next 10 years and beyond, perhaps. Yeah. And then as we're evaluating that sea of potentially infinite options, because infinite options sounds great until you realize it's infinite options and holy shit, now I have to pick one of infinite options. Ah, you like, can't make progress on no, everything. No, no, no. That's, that's a whole other category of, of, of chaos in and of itself. Let's use the future we want as the guideposts or guideposts for the narrower the narrowing of that set of infinite options one of the ways that we did that was different forms of communication so your uh blog posts sharing blog posts publicly sharing it uh, internally with our community and live conversations that we put together where people had an opportunity to enter into the room to share physical space with one another, to look at one another face to face, and to ideate and talk and share concerns and I think, grievances. I think those town halls, and a lot of people said to me that those town halls were useful. Now we did we did a series of two town halls, yeah. uh, knowing that on a rel- even on a even on a plenty of timeline, not everybody can come. So on a short timeline, even less people are going to be able to come. Yeah. Uh, and we wanted, we knew we were not going to get 100% attendance. We never do. But I wanted to get a diverse enough cross-section of people that I would feel comfortable with the representation of cares, concerns, values, ideas, etc. Right. And what was interesting was across two separate town hall settings where the, uh, the members who attended was almost entirely different across both of them, a lot of things were similar. Yeah. Some th- things were 
crucially different in very good ways, but there was not a clear like stacking of opinion in one direction or the other when the groups were not face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. which was a very good sign to me. I made those town halls a focus on, instead of repeating what I'd already said, because ultimately I would hope that you would take the time to, to read the thing, or at the very least ask somebody who has read it about it. We, mm -hmm. we also, at the, as a call to action in every single one of these blog posts, encouraged members to talk with each other about this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it, be, it might not hit you in the first day or even the first week, but eventually just about everybody heard about it. And it was actually very cool. People who generally don't say anything, whether it's a response online or in person, came up to me and said, first of all, that post was awesome. Like, thank you for that. That was mm -hmm. so crucially well communicated. I feel good about where we're going. And then led into, I have ideas or I, you have my support, whatever it might be. Yeah, of course. So I didn't want to repeat myself. The town halls were really more about what questions do you have? Yeah. And what ideas do you have? And I think your point about doing them face-to-face -to, -face to a degree helped a lot because people seeing each other's faces, hearing the tone of people's voices, you know... At, as somber as the topic was, both of those town halls were really optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I know one of the things that you and I and Sam talked about when we came back was, I feel really good that people feel good mm -hmm. about this. Right. Even like, though we don't have all the answers. Right, Every, everyone seems to be, for the most part, primed to start the work. The mistake we could have made, and I've seen made before, is we wait to start talking about it until we have all of the answers. Right. And again, that tool that we borrowed from Billy Penn let us start talking about it before we had all the answers and actually tactically acknowledge that we don't have all the answers in a way that was productive. And I think the town halls were good not only because they opened up a, a, a space for questions, for just curiosity, but the practice of the town hall, and the reason that I think it was important face-to-face, -face, is because it exposed every member to one another. That's it, true. it showed every member another member who is also thinking about these things. Uh, it it offers an opportunity for you to hear all of your concerns. If you're the type of person who won't bring these up uh, right off the cuff, all of your concerns are going to be echoed from someone else. That actually reminds me of another thing that I heard often was everything I wanted to say has already been said. Which is uh, both good and um, hopefully provokes people to add to that if there's anything to add but it's a really good thing i think for a community of people in a crisis situation to have consolation with one another yeah. so they all see that everyone is going through the process uh together and not alone yep and that's one of the what's one of the things that I, i've hoped that we could avoid uh in sharing all of this information and this is kind of dire stuff for our community the last thing I want anyone to feel is I have to go through this by myself. Well, and I'll, I'll, for, for rare occasion, point to myself and say, that's been my selfish intent in all of this, uh, has been knowing that if I had to go through all of this alone, I mean, I did for a brief period of time. That first month where I was doing the negotiation, and it was really, I mean, you knew and Sam knew and Jeff knew, but... I had people coming to me asking about projects and can we do this and people want to do the beach house and all this other stuff that I, I wanted to tell them why I did not have the attention or bandwidth or energy or 
risk tolerance to take on something new. What did you tell me? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I think the most common answer was uh, honestly prefaced with, um, I'm going to need you to trust me on this. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> which, which is like, I, I don't think, I would not use that lest I absolutely do not. That's, that's me with my back against a wall is sure. I need you to trust me on this. Uh, and hopefully I've proven that I'm trustworthy in the past. Yeah. And thankfully my consistency and authenticity grants me that um, because I am fucking relentless about it. <laughs> but I, I said, look, I, I, I can, I personally cannot make this work right now. Yeah. I have some things going on that are kind of complicated to explain. I will be able to explain more. And when I do, I promise this will make more sense. Yeah. But I need you to trust me about why I can't right now and know that it doesn't mean I don't have your back. Yeah. If this is something that you want to go do, please do it and ask other community members for help. But I can't promise you the kind of support that I normally would Yeah. because I refuse to promise that and then under deliver. That's that, again. That's authenticity, right? It, and, it's emotional truth and recognition of, of the significance of the person. And exactly. And everybody, everybody was cool with that. Um, and it was. I mean, this was like a handful of conversations, and every single one of them after the sort of major news came out, we were like, oh. That makes my situation seem like kind of small peanuts. I'm really sorry for wasting your time with that. And I could come back with, no, you weren't wasting my time. Under any other normal circumstances, that's exactly what my time is for. Mm -hmm. Helping you. These are not helping normal you succeed. circumstances. These are not normal circumstances. Yeah. And so I, I've had to make some tough calls, but know that that doesn't change the, the grand scheme of things. Something that I, I, I want to ask you, because I know that you have a particular... Um, uh, opinion toward and this is something that I think is uh, generated from I don't know our era our generation the way that we think and act and receive information are you talking about Millennials I'm t well, not using the M word <laughs> but uh, it the God I don't want to use the M word um, the 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 way that we deal with information, a lot of people deal with information, is by trying to glean as much as they can, as quickly as they can, before moving to the next thing. So I want to ask you about this scenario and the demand of a lot of people for TLDR. Too long, didn't read. Because we have a complicated, beefy, nuanced, difficult situation that needs attention. Yeah. And for every person, and, and I don't want to villainize anyone who has requested this, but uh, for any person who has said, get to the punch. Let me know what's happening. That's it. That's all I want. Give me the TLDR. What is your take on that? Um, I mean, if, if, if somebody comes to me with that, then I've failed them with my longer explanation. Because I think that there's something else at, at the underpinning of that TLDR, uh, and it's not that uh, people don't want to read long form. That's proven to simply not be true. Uh, it's not that people don't want to listen to long form. That's proven to simply not be true. And granted, we're uh, painting broad strokes here. There are people who... who genuinely just don't have the attention span for it yeah, and, and, that, and that's 
that is a category unto itself. But we're talking about the generational laziness of the folks who might be categorized by a demographic that starts with an M. Uh, I, we, after this point, we will refer to those people as millennials. Millennials. Uh, <laughs> the namesake of uh, the millennium, Will Smith, the patron saint <laughs> of Philadelphia. <laughs> Philadelphia's patron saint, Will Smith, millennium, millennials. What was I talking about? Will you please continue? Um, no, seriously, what was I talking about? <laughs> uh, so the. The, the generational laziness yes, of yes, people. Yes, yes. So, so uh, if somebody does not want to read the whole thing, it is a failing of what I wrote. Yeah. Let me unpack that a little bit. Sure. Uh, I am extremely, extremely, extremely thoughtful with my words, especially in writing. And I put a lot of thought into not just what words are coming out of my brain or my mouth, but how they're going to hit the person reading them. Mm-hmm. And... The reason most people default to a, I see a wall of text, therefore I don't want to read, is because there's nothing early on that hints at them why they would give a damn. There you go. Okay. And, and like the, I mean, the simple like copywriting framework here is the job of the headline is to get them to want to read the first line of the story. The job of the first line of the story is to get them to read the second line of the story. Yeah. To make that more concrete... I look at that warm-up as something that is going to impact them, something that they, they would care about. Yeah. Uh, and in some cases, something lightly actionable. But I actually see, often will save a call to action for later on, which is counterintuitive. But the I had a conversation with, with uh, one of our members the other day about uh, something he wants to share with the community and, and invite their participation in. Mm-hmm. And he drafted a little uh, post, and I was like, the, this is bullet points, and there's so much more that could be said to make somebody care mm-hmm. about this. And he said something to the effect of, well, I have an economy of words, and I can only say so much, so I'm just going to say the most critical stuff. And I say, that assumes you've chosen words that people wouldn't inherently care to read. Sure. And what does that say about the words you're choosing? Yeah. Right? So it's not about how many words are on the page. It's which words are they, why are they there, and why does the person reading give a damn about them? Because it doesn't matter if they're the most efficient words or most critical to what you're saying. They're only as good as they're being read. Right. Because if they're not read... So, I mean, that intention alone in all of this communication and that's not to say that I I mean there in, in almost every point in almost every email there are points of uh, uh, I mean I I got vulnerable especially in that first post where I was like look guys I'm not in good shape like I need help mm-hmm. um, there was definitely some some meanness to the post but the post wasn't about me the post wasn't about what I'm going through it's not about what Indy Hall is abstractly going through it's about the challenge that's going to impact all of us in one way shape or form in the next 12 to 14 months these are the things that we need to be thinking about uh, and this is what I ask of you and I think that you can use that in really every bit of communication. We spent a lot of time workshopping our emails. Um, I think if people look behind the scenes at how much workshopping we do for each other, uh, even on seemingly inconsequential emails, mm-hmm. 
the hardest thing to do is to get people's attention to your point about the millennials and it's not limited to them everyone is strapped for attention yeah so you've got to make it your job to show them up front why this is worth their attention right and also built like i mentioned the mechanism before where i also know that not everybody reads the posts not everybody reads every posts some people will read posts from me more likely than they read them from somebody else i don't yeah. know why um, but we all have our different patterns of, of information. And I receiving. cannot take any one of them for granted. Precisely. So it was the, those call to action. Maybe the most important call to action in that first post was not, I need your ideas, I need your sympathy, your, soli your solidarity. It was, I need you to make sure that the person sitting next to you knows that this exists, read it, and understands it enough to maybe ask a question of their own. Yeah. And that kicked off a cycle that we've been going through since the end of May? Yeah. Beginning of June? Um, which, interestingly enough, included a great deal of time away. You and I were on tour yeah. for two full weeks uh, out of the end of May, beginning of June, and then we were away for three full weeks in Africa. I think it also created a window of time where I could shift from being uh, from information gathering mode into action mode. Yeah. Those first five weeks were really, for all the words that I wrote and all the things that I said, I listened 20 times more, maybe 100 times more, you know, quant, word for word, minute for minute, whatever it was. And... I needed a, a gear shift. Yeah. I was actually feeling a little stuck, and I was sort of getting a sense from members like, all right, all the information's good, but like, when do we do a thing? When does a thing start to happen? Mm -hmm. And I didn't have an answer, and I was able to come back and start formulating answers right away. Mm -hmm. First week back from, from Africa, I had a, here's what's going to happen in this week and next week and before the end of the month, and we executed first off was a membership prepayment drive to help us buy more time with our rent increase starting yeah. in September. Uh, and in three days of announcing that along with a scholarship fund, which we'll be talking about more uh, as we as we actually put it together, we pulled together 20 grand in yeah. three days. Yeah. Absolutely insane. By the way, it, the number is really impressive to, to hear $20,000 in prepayments but I think the most impressive part is it's not the surface level stuff it's the a sheer amount of people that that came from yeah new members members who haven't been around for a long time uh, people who are currently here uh, all day every day I mean this came from all corners and in so many different amounts uh, you know we had people writing in saying you know I can prepay my next three months of community memberships that's sixty dollars mm -hmm. that's all i can do right now i wish i could do more and then we had people saying i can prepay 12 months of full-time membership for me and my teammate which is obviously a much larger amount of money and one of the things that i tried to say to all of those people is i mean the dollar amounts obviously add up in different ways but the magnitude of the contribution the fact that you're willing and able willing to do what you are able to do yeah to help in even the smallest way. The thing I reminded somebody of the other day is that Indie Hall works at all because we have a mix of people paying for full-time memberships, 
as well as the full spectrum of all of our flex and community memberships. And people don't realize how quickly those little things add up. And it's sort of a, a implementation version of what we always say, which is we care about all the things the big and the small yeah the small interactions the small bits of care and gratitude that go into the day the small you know the smile the hello the introducing yourself those small and seemingly inconsequential things that you do any chance you get make indie hall awesome yeah it's not just about the big thing they collect and, and they, they yeah they, it's accretion the big success is the sum of lots of small successes of all right. different scales so uh, so I agree with you that that's a, uh, the, the $20,000 number in three days is is tremendous, and I'm so grateful. And that that I mean that effectively buys us four months of smooth sailing to implement stuff for the longer term uh, uh, of this of this rent increase. Um, I mentioned a scholarship fund. We've got people already chomping at the bit to get involved with that and some great ideas. We're going to put that into action in September. Yep. And a few other things that I think we'll, we'll, we'll save for today since I know we've been talking for a while. But we're in action mode now. Yep. And I think that all of the setup that we did, we front-loaded a lot of very challenging work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fielding of questions, the synthesizing of stuff. I think a lot of people would be tempted to skip straight to action. Mm-hmm. Um maybe because it feels good you know quick gratification hit a gratification uh thinking well i'll do all that listening on the fly i'll figure it out as i go i'll hear from people that are interacting and the truth is is you're gonna start throwing darts at stuff and realizing that you don't even know which way the dartboard is after you've already started throwing your limited number of darts yeah yeah and that's a problem so and I'm a firm believer in front-loading the, the, this kind of work so that when you get to the implementation work, you can just focus on the implementation. You don't have to rocket forth between being strategic and getting down to work. So now every time we sit down to roll something out, we've got this foundation of understanding, of uh, answers, of still remaining questions, of people's thoughts, cares, feelings, opinions, uh, of uh, resources, the fact that now I'm able to start calling in not just the endless people that are in the real estate world, including some folks who are our members that are helping us conduct a search, uh, but also reaching to resources outside of Indie Hall's core membership. We've got the support of people from City Hall. Uh, when I told people at City Hall that the situation is going on, it didn't take long for them to realize they have many incentives for us to continue doing what we're doing and for us to continue evolving what we're doing. They hadn't even thought of that. But when I presented it to them, not as a pity party, we're in trouble, save us, save us. You know, that's a really entitled point of view to come from. Which is what I think they're used to. They're very much used to. I think local government is is probably used to uh, a lot of calls from people who are drowning. And I came and I said, look, we're in a shitty situation. Here's what I've learned so far. Here's what we're already doing to fix it. Frankly, I don't even know what you could do to help, but I'd like to hear what your initial thoughts are. Who do you think of that I should talk to? What programs should I be investigating? 
what people should I meet that I haven't met before? And we were able to put together, like I mentioned on my birthday, this little tiger team of awesome folks from City Hall, mix of people in, you know, actually work directly for City Hall and other sort of adjacent organizations. This kick-ass little tiger team of like six people who got together for beers and instead of having six meetings, we had one meeting. Yep. It was this awesome little brainstorming session and people, you know, throwing around names, oh no, no, don't waste the time with that guy, let's do this and all this other stuff. And, and you know, that's so much more valuable than anything I could imagine asking yep. City Hall for. Um, and I just think another demonstration of how our approach to that relationship has, has played out in, in, a, in a very, very positive way. I think all of this is a result of, of authenticity, of practiced authenticity. Even though we have a, a situation that, that we're being confronted with, that is unprecedented. We haven't had these kind of constraints uh, facing us, facing us as a unit, as Indy Hall, uh, before. Usually we're more in control of our own destiny. Uh, and in this scenario, we're not entirely. Even though this is totally new, we're acting the best way we know how to. And we haven't changed. We haven't changed the, or, or sacrificed or compromised for the sake of speed. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, that, and this all ties back to, uh, you know, when you're in a situation where you're not in control, regardless of the scale, the number one thing you can do is give yourself a little bit of control, even if it's mostly made up. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a thing that you can actually do and accomplish that the thing that's out of control can't get in the way of. And remind yourself that you can actually do things the way you normally do them and that that outside factor is just that an outside factor uh and there may be facts that you have to deal with but but that's it yeah yeah that sounds right so, so your next birthday next year where are we what's happening we're moving i think <laughs> that's that'll be a hell of a moving birthday. out um yeah this year this this ninth year of indie hall as we approach our 10-year anniversary uh, well, I've been saying that this summer in general, I will not forget the summer of 2015 ever. Yeah. Um, and it's been full of challenge. It's also been full of some really awesome stuff. Yeah. Uh, the silver lining in all of this, and this is not just me being the eternal optimist that I am, is that I cannot imagine a version of this where we do not end up way better off on the other side absolutely and to know that not just to believe it but to to actually realize that this is going to be better so long as we stay true to the way that we always operate we don't let this change us in a way that we don't want to change this is you know sometimes you need a kick in the ass to do something you should have done all along long. yeah of course and I know that some point in our ninth year we would have started thinking about our 10-year anniversary as a big milestone i don't think i would have been thinking about it in the way that i'm thinking about it now let alone this early yeah uh with as much detail and with as much understanding of who we are versus who i thought we were in terms of our membership and not that those things are massively incongruent but i'm working on reality instead of working on maybe past realities yeah this next year is going to be defining in a lot of really exciting ways a big part of the reason that 
I'm doing all of this in public, by the way, it, including this conversation today, is uh, one, I know that we're not the first people to go through this because we've seen other people go through this and I've watched them handle it go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong, or even not horribly wrong, just not go as well as they wanted it yeah, to. Yeah, just like I said, here in Philadelphia and well beyond it. Yeah. This is something that happens every day pretty quietly. I like avoiding problems. <laughs> that sounds so silly to say out loud, <laughs> but, but I, as so often the problems that cripple or kill the things we care about, we knew about long before they were fatal. Yeah. And we make a choice to not deal with it, to procrastinate, to deal with it in a way that just is not, not taking advantage of all of our strengths, and that's just that just sucks. So um, I, I want people to see what we do and use it, hopefully, to think about the way they approach problems at all scales with their mm. community. You don't need to wait for tragedy to strike to start approaching your community this way. What are the, what's the small things that bug you every day in your co-working space, in your community, in your workplace, whatever it is, and think about them this way. And you can approach them the same way, you can communicate about them the same way, and lo and behold, you can find resolution the same way. So I wanna teach people how to avoid problems the way we avoid problems, teach people how to create solutions the way we create solutions. And I wanna hear other stories, I wanna hear other people showing how they kick ass at getting their community involved in a problem instead of just sharing that problem with them and letting everybody suffer together. Sure. I know that this can serve as a template for people in the future whom this happens to and with, for, against. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot and I want to share it because uh, I'm finding it really useful and I know others will too. And I know that this is one of the ways where we identify opportunities for us to grow and to celebrate and to work on things that are bigger than we're one year older, we're still alive. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's smaller pieces, like you said, little things that we can work on and change and make better. So we progress and grow and become a better version of ourselves in between those years that we're still alive. Exactly. The fact that this is happening on our, our 10th year is, uh, like I said, that's just the romantic, the poet in me. If this was happening in our 8th year, I'd be putting just as much energy and effort into it because mm -hmm. um, I give a damn no matter what year it is. Oh, yeah. Even if it's uh, 2015, 15 years after uh, the millennium. And the year that uh, Marty McFly went back to the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is packed with meaning. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. I think that's our cue. I think both of us should stop while we're ahead. All right. Uh, let's head back to the hall. Deal. Sounds good. In the months following this conversation between Adam and I, we continued our quest for a new home for Indy Hall.
and we followed through on a lot of the things that we talked about in this episode. And I've been thinking a lot about the other communities around the world that are going through similar situations or even entirely different ones, but following similar models for dealing with these problems in public. And I've also been thinking a lot about the communities who go through problems like this in complete isolation. And for those of you who have gone through any version of this, any kind of crisis in your community, I really want to hear your story. If you've been through a tough situation and you went through it with your community and it turned out great, or you kept it to yourself and it was way harder than it needed to be, well, maybe even the end... I want to hear your story. So shoot me an email, alex at indiehaw.org, and tell me about your crisis and tell me how you handled it. And tell me what you would want to share with somebody else if they were going through the same kind of situation. I really want to hear your stories, and there's a good chance that we may ask you to come on the show and share your story as well. So in upcoming episodes, I'll be sharing a lot more about this story as it's unfolded, specifically some of the things that we did when we went looking for potential new spaces. And I'll give you a hint. The good stuff is not in the real estate listings. I had to learn how to weed out lazy real estate people. And oh, my God, there are a lot of them. But we were able to find a few great partners, and I want to share with you what I learned along the way of finding an excellent real estate partner. And I even want to show you what we did to start introducing our community to some of their potential new homes and how we approach that process and the result that approach creates. But maybe best of all, you're not going to have to wait weeks or months between episodes to get more of the story because I brought on some production help. This episode is actually the first one that's been edited and produced by my new team member, Mike. Now, having Mike on the team and dedicated to projects like this show means that production quality is going to go up because, let's be honest, he knows what he's doing in audio editing and I've been winging it the whole time. But more importantly, he's going to be helping make sure that this show comes out on a regular basis. So... If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe in your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, whatever, or by going to CoworkingWeekly.com to sign up for email updates. And if you sign up for the email updates, you're not just going to find out when new episodes drop, but you're also going to be finding out about some of the really exciting stuff that we're working on. And oh, my dear listeners, we are working on some truly excellent stuff for this year. So welcome to 2016. It's going to be an awesome one. And I'm so thankful you're along for the ride. Have a great one.